If you have your Bibles with you this morning, you can open with me to Deuteronomy chapter 4. Deuteronomy chapter 4. We'll be looking at verses 32 through 40 this morning. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 32 through 40. And if you don't have a Bible with you, you can turn in the Pew Bible there and grab a Pew Bible, and it's page 140 in the Pew Bible. Page 140 in the Pew Bible. So Deuteronomy 4, 32 through 40, page 140 in the Pew Bible. You know, Scripture clearly calls us to live in obedience to God. It calls us to live in obedience to God, to His will, to His law. We're called to obey God. The question is, why should we obey God? I mean, that's a, a reasonable question to ask. Why should we obey God? The Bible says we should, but why should we obey God? And a lot of people have, you know, in mind that we should obey God out of fear, out of fear. Uh, you ever been standing close to somebody and you know they were lying and, and you start like stepping away because you lightning bolt come down and, and strike them down, right? Uh, they, a lot of people have that kind of mentality. They, they, they think they should obey God out of fear that God might strike them down and, and, and blow them away or something, right? Uh, another reason people often think they should obey God is out of favor, Seeking God's favor, I should obey God because then maybe I can earn his favor and be in his good graces and, and he'll give me things, right? But you know what? It's not, all, it's not really about the what. The reason we should obey God is not about what. It's not about what we can get out of it, whether it be good health, good living, whatever like that. It's not about the what. It's more about the who. It's more about who God is and what he has done for us. And for those reasons, we should long to obey God. And so today we, we consider this. We are called to live in obedience to Yahweh. And today I want us to, to make that clear. And so uh, as we go through this, uh, I'm going to use that term Yahweh. I don't normally do that, but uh, it, it's in the text. And so I want to make that clear today because we're not just to obey any God that's out there. I mean, in our world today, there are many gods. You, know, you got Buddha, you got Allah, you got uh, uh, all the Hindu gods. They got thousands of gods. But it's not any God, it's Yahweh. It's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's the God of Holy Scriptures. And so in our text, and I've explained this before, but we've got other people here who, who probably haven't heard this before from me at least. And so in, in the text there, in our text, you know this, that, uh, or a lot of you know this, in the Old Testament where LORD is in all caps, such as verse uh, 35 there, to you it is shown that you might know that the LORD is God, LORD all caps, that Lord, all caps, in the original Hebrew language, it's the proper name for God, which some people pronounce Yahweh. Uh, we don't know if that's the right pronunciation or not, but that's what kind of people transliterate it into English as Yahweh. And so I want to use that today just so that you know we're talking about the God of the Bible, the covenant-making God, the God of Israel, the God of Christianity. 
And so we're gonna, I'm going to draw that out today and make that, I want to make that clear. So today, as we consider this, I want to show you three reasons to live in obedience to Yahweh. Three reasons to live in obedience to Yahweh. Three motives, if you will, to live in obedience to Yahweh. And to sum up all of those motives, it, it, it would be this. Yahweh is worthy of obedience because Yahweh alone is God. Yahweh is worthy of our obedience because Yahweh alone is God. There is no other God. There is only Yahweh. And we're going to see this today in these three reasons to live in obedience to him. So I hope you leave today not only eager to live in obedience to God, but with a proper understanding, a proper motivation to live in obedience to God. Because we can live in obedience to God with the wrong motivation and our obedience would be wrong. If we want our obedience to be right, then we've got to have the proper motive behind our obedience. So I want you to have that today. Remember, as we've been working through this, we are in the historical prologue of Deuteronomy. So Deuteronomy is, is structured as an, old, uh, uh, an ancient covenant. And the first section of an ancient covenant is a historical prologue. And so the historical prologue lays out the history between God and Israel. And in this history of God and Israel and their relationship up to this point in history, it has shown us God's nature and man's nature. And despite man's nature, God is a loving, merciful, merciful God who wants to enter into a relationship with mankind. And so we've seen that already and today, as Moses kind of rounds out, he concludes. This is the conclusion of that first sermon and the historical prologue. It's the conclusion of his first sermon of three sermons throughout the book of, of, of Deuteronomy. As he concludes this, this is the, the climatic conclusion of the historical prologue and this first sermon of Moses in the book of Deuteronomy. So his grand conclusion. In fact, we're going to end right here and then we're going to take a break starting next week we're going to take a break through christmas time and through thanksgiving and christmas because uh, this is a good place to to stop for a break and so we're going to do that but he, he's finishing up this historical prologue with his grand conclusion about why we should obey god live in live in obedience to his will and to his law and so if you found your place there in deuteronomy chapter 4 Starting in verse 32, please stand with me in reverence to the reading of God's holy word. Now hear the word of the Lord. For asked now of the days that are past, which were before you since the day that God created man on the earth, and asked from one end of heaven to the other whether such a great thing as this has ever happened or was ever heard of did any people ever hear the voice of of a god speaking out of the midst of the fire as you have heard and still live or has any god ever attempted to go and take a nation for himself from the midst of another nation by trials by signs by wonders and by war by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm 
and by great deeds of terror, all of which the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes. To you it was shown that you might know that the Lord is God. There is no other besides him. Out of heaven he let you, he let you hear his voice that he might discipline you. And on earth he let you see his great fire, and you heard his words out of the midst of the fire. And because he loved your fathers and chose their offspring after them and brought you out of Egypt with his own presence by his great power, driving out before you nations greater and mightier than you to bring you in to give you their land and an inheritance as it is this day. Know therefore today and lay it to your heart that the Lord is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. There is no other. Therefore, you shall keep his statutes and his commandments, which I command you today, that it may go well with you and with your children after you, and that you may prolong your days in the land that the Lord your God is giving you for all time. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we do thank you for your holy, inspired, and inerrant word. And Lord, we pray that you would teach us from it. Write these words on our hearts. Teach us your word, O Lord. Give us the proper motivation to obey so that we may live a life that is pleasing and glorifying to you, you and your nature. So Lord, give us ears to hear. Give us eyes to see. Give us hearts willing to obey. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, as Moses gives the people of Israel these reasons, these reasons to obey God, and you notice there he, he said that several times, a couple of times, two different times there, that you may know that the Lord is God. There is no other beside him. And then at the conclusion there, therefore you shall keep his statutes and his commandments, which I command you today. So all of this is leading down to that. Because of who God is, now obey him. Keep his commandments. Keep his statutes. And, and this is for us today. We need to learn from this. And so the first reason that we see that we should obey God and live in obedience to his will for our, for our lives is that God is creator. God is creator. That's how he opens up on the first line of this little paragraph, right? For ask now of the days that are past, which were before you, since the day that God created man on the earth. I like that Moses brings that in. He draws that out here. God created man on earth. God created. God created. Uh, God is our creator, he is our creator. And we see this, of course, this draws us back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, right? In Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. Let's just stop right there. That little phrase, in the beginning, God, tells us 
that God was before the beginning, right? In the beginning, God was there. God, Yahweh, is, is not only creator, but Yahweh is eternal. He is eternal. He's always been, always will be. He is God. He is eternal God. By the way, this is also seen in that name, Yahweh. Lord, Yahweh. Uh, that is derived from that passage in Exodus, Exodus chapter 3, when Moses came to, to God and God was in the burning bush there and God told Moses, go to Egypt and set my people free. And, and Moses said, well, who do I say sends me? Who, who, who do I tell them that I'm coming? What's your name? And God said, I am who I am. Tell them, I am sent you. And that, that, the Hebrew phrase for I am it, it is the, the word that we get the, the derivative for God's proper name, Yahweh. He is the eternal God. He has always been. Now, when you, you talk about in school and, and you learn in school about, uh, about you know, evolution and all of that, and, and evolutionists have a problem. Evolutionists have a problem because they, they wind it all back. I mean, they track history all the way back to a big bang. And they say that everything started with a big bang, and then after the big bang, well, then everything else just came out of, you know, just happened, you know, circumstances and accidents just happy accidents and a little accident over here where some molecules got together and that that created the first life and then that 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 first life you know there was another little happy accident with their dna and they developed more life and more life and on and on and on and down the line and so uh, they can kind of give somewhat of account for it although they can't prove it that's why it's called the theory of evolution not the fact of evolution so they have the theory of evolution well they can bring everything back to the big bang but you see they have a problem when they get to the big bang because they can't come up with what caused the big bang what caused the big bang because there is a universal law the law of causality and this is a it's not a theory it's a law the law of causality says that every material effect must have an adequate cause every material effect that's the cause and effect right every material effect must have a cause what caused the big bang and they say we don't know that's all they can say we don't know well the bible has an answer for that god god is the cause he is the cause that caused creation to come into being he said let there be and bang there it was it came about it came into existence they say, whoa, well, 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 wait a minute, you've got a problem there because what about God? God has to have a cause, so God can't be eternal. He has to have a cause. Well, well, but but the, the law of causality says that material effects, right? That's the key, material effects. God is not material. God is supernatural. He is above and beyond material things. He's above and beyond creation, 
So he is the uncaused cause. He is eternal God who said, let there be. And creation came into being. In the beginning, God. So God is eternal God, the the first cause, the original cause of all things. But not only that, but God created the heavens and the earth. God created, Yahweh is creator and sustainer of all things. In the beginning, God created. He brought it into existence. And he holds it together, right? He, he holds it together. He keeps it in, in existence because of the word of his power. The reason the, the earth doesn't spin out of its orbit and off into space somewhere is because God says, stay in place. You stay where I created you to stay. You stay in place. You, you stay right there. God is creator and sustainer of all things. He sustains you. He sustains you. The reason you're sitting there in those pews and sitting upright instead of just a blob of dirt and junk on the floor is because God says, you atoms, you molecules, you stay together. He holds you together. He keeps you in existence. If God just decided to say, oh, I'm done, then all of us would just disappear. We would fall apart. We would be no more. God is our creator and sustainer. Now, if Yahweh is your creator and sustainer, wouldn't you think that he has your best interest at heart? I mean, he created you for a purpose. He created you for a purpose. Don't you think he has your best interest in heart? Now, now think about this. Think about a vineyard. Think about a vineyard. The vine dresser goes out to the vineyard and, and the vine dresser, you know, he, he, he plants the grapevine. He plants the grapevine. He irrigates it. He fertilizes the vine and, uh, so, so that it will sustain life, right? He builds the vine a trestle to keep its branches up out of the dirt, out of harm's way. And he prunes it so that it might flourish. And so it is with God, for God, with you. So it is for God with you. You know, a lot of people think that God's law is oppressive. God's law is oppressive. Some might say God's law is is so oppressive, it, it aims to keep me from being what I was created to be. God's law keeps me, wants to oppress me and keep me from being what I was created to be. What a foolish thought. If God created you, God created you to be what he wants you to be. And and God's law is not oppressive. God's law is good and right. And what God's law is designed to do, it's designed to be a trellis for us. To keep us out of the dirt. To keep us away from the insects and all the things that can can harm us it's to keep us out of God, out of harm's way now our flesh says oh i like it down there on the dirt i want to grow off the the trellis and, and i want to jump down in the dirt and i want to waller in the the mud and the muck but god's law is for us 
it is good to guide us and give us direction so that we might become what God truly wants us to be and what he created us to be. After all, he created us in his image and likeness. And the law reflects his image and likeness. God's law is good for us. So we obey God's will. We should obey God's will because he is our creator and our sustainer. And his law is for your good. It is for your flourishing. God wants you to flourish. When you're living in sin, when you're living outside of God's will, you're not going to flourish. Now, the world might tell you you're flourishing, but you're not flourishing. You're not going to flourish because you're really not becoming what God wants you to be. God's your creator and sustainer. He wants you to flourish. So live in obedience to his will. Live in obedience to Yahweh because Yahweh is creator. Second, live in obedience to Yahweh because Yahweh is revealer. Yahweh is revealer. How does Yahweh reveal himself? We see this in our text. First of all, he reveals himself through signs and wonders. Signs and wonders. Look at verses 33 and 34. Did any people ever hear the voice of God speaking out of the midst of the fire? As you have heard and still live, or has any God ever attempted to go and, and take a nation for himself from the midst of another nation, that's from the midst of Egypt, by trials, by signs, by wonders, and by war, by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, and, a, and, and by great deeds of terror, all of which... Yahweh, your God, did for you in Egypt before your very eyes. He's like, remember what Yahweh did in Egypt? Remember all the plagues that he sent down upon the Egyptians? And how those plagues that he sent down on, on Egypt didn't affect you guys over there in Goshen? You, re you remember that? How God separated you? Like he, he drew a line in the sand and all the gnats, all the locusts, all the frogs, they, they went on the Egyptians, but they didn't cross that line. Do you remember that, people? God says, you remember? He, he delivered them through signs and wonders. Remember the Red Sea? Remember how we were there on the banks of the Red Sea and, and the Egyptian army was, were coming up against us and, and God's great pillar of fire came down and, and came between us and them. And, and then remember what God did? God separated the Red Sea so that we could just cross right over the Red Sea or through the Red Sea like on dry ground. You remember that? You remember all those signs and wonders that God did for us? Oh, God has revealed himself to his people through wonderful signs and wonders. But not only that, God has also revealed himself through his word. God has revealed himself through his word. Look at verses 35 and 36. 35 and 36. To you it was shown that you might know that the Lord is God. There is no other besides him out of heaven he let you hear his voice. 
that he might discipline you. And on earth he let you see his great fire and you heard his words out of the midst of the fire. You heard his words. Now we talked about that last week. Wasn't it last week that we talked about hearing God's words? God gave them his words. That's how he has revealed himself to them. Now we can say that God has revealed himself in a general way to all of mankind. God has revealed himself in a general way to all of mankind. In fact, Romans tells us that. Romans chapter 1, verses, uh, verses 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes. Notice this, his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived even ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. So God has revealed himself in a general way to all of mankind. We look at creation and we see the magnificence of creation. We look at the human body and the complexity of the human body. And, and just seeing the complexity of creation itself should, should say, we, we should say to ourselves, oh, there's a creator out there. There's an intelligent creator who put all these things together. Right? That's enough for us to say that there is an eternal, powerful God who created the world and all that is in it. And so all of creation is without excuse because instead of saying, yes, there is a creator there, we need to seek his face, we need to go after him, we need to learn who he is, we need to honor him and worship them, him, instead of saying that, they say, well, we actually evolved from monkeys. We actually came from a, a whole line of genetic mistakes. Instead of using absolute reason, I mean common sense, when you, when you really look at the evidence, common sense should tell you that evolution is a fraud. It is junk. Because the probability of all these happy little incidents in, in, the, in DNA, in the genetic code, the probability of that I heard this one time, I don't remember where, but I heard this one time, the probability of that is that a monkey can sit down in a typewriter and, and type out all of, all of Shakespeare's plays just ha accidentally. There's more probability of that, of a monkey writing Shakespeare's plays, than evolution to take place. Yet we see a world saying, oh no, it's about evolution. There's no, no intelligent creator. There's no God out there. We are just happy mistakes. Though the evidence is there, they deny God. Therefore, they are without excuse. And when they stand before a holy God and he gives his sentence, condemned to hell for your denial of me there's no excuse they can give 
So God has revealed himself in general to all creation, to all of mankind, so that all of mankind with, is without excuse. But God has revealed himself to us in a special way through signs and wonders and his word he has revealed himself to us so that we know that what's written in this book is true and right we can trust it and if we study it we can know god we can have a relationship with god we can follow him in these days right moses is talking in his day he's talking about the exodus but in these days for us god has revealed himself through signs and wonders and his word as the word of god became flesh john 1 1 in the beginning was the word and the word was with god and the word was god verse 14 and the word became flesh and we beheld his glory the glory as of the only son from the father god sent his son jesus christ the word who has become flesh and he has been our full revelation of god to us he came in, in signs and wonders. He was born of a Virgin Mary. He lived a sinless life. He did magnificent things like, like raise people from the dead, heal them from lifelong illnesses, feed thousands upon thousands with just a handful of fish and, and a few loaves of bread. He walked upon the water. He didn't he didn't you know divide the red sea he walked upon the sea and he calmed the storm by the word of his power sea storm winds and waves be still and they obeyed his word god has revealed himself to us in a very special way by sending his son jesus christ to come to this earth and live among us as one of us to live and die for us on Calvary's cross. And then raised him up again so that if we trust in him and surrender our lives to Jesus, we enter into a covenant with him. We enter into a relationship with him. We can know Jesus. We can spend time with Jesus. We can learn how to be like Jesus. He empowers us by the power of His Holy Spirit to live in obedience to His law as that passage from, from Hebrews we read earlier. It indicates, I will write my law upon their hearts. He will send the Holy Spirit into us. He sends Him into us to write His law on our hearts so that we can live in obedience to His will and His law. Oh, how God has revealed himself to us. Graciously, he has revealed himself to us. He didn't have to, right? He didn't have to. He didn't have to give us his word. And he didn't have to send us his son. But by his grace, by his love, by his mercy, he sent his son to reveal himself to us. Colossians 1, 15 through 20 
He is the image. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, for Jesus. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is creator and sustainer. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is, in the, he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Oh, dear friend, live in obedience to God because God has revealed himself to you in a special way through his written word and through his word that became flesh, Jesus Christ. Oh, the grace of God. God is a revealer. Yahweh is the revealer. Live in obedience to Yahweh because he is creator. He is revealer. Third, because Yahweh is Redeemer. Yahweh is Redeemer, building off of what we just talked about. Yahweh is Redeemer. That is, He is Savior. Notice what verse 37 says there. Verse 37, just the beginning of it. And because He loved your fathers and chose their offspring after them and brought you out of Egypt with His own presence. Notice here, God chose to save God chose to save he chose to save the Israelites he chose them because of their fathers to who their fathers were Abraham Isaac and Jacob he chose Abraham Isaac and Jacob right Abraham was in Ur worshiping foreign gods and God called him out of Ur he said come let me show you a place I'm going to give to you I will be your God and you your people they will be my people God chose Abraham, he chose Isaac and Jacob, right? There was Esau, there was Ishmael, but God chose, chose Isaac and Jacob, and he says, I, I'm going to put my love, my grace upon you, and I'm going to make you a mighty nation. He chose them and saved them and, and brought them out of, out of Egypt, not because they were a mighty nation, not because they were a righteous nation. We've already seen that, right? They went after other gods. They chased other gods. They defied Yahweh even after all that Yahweh had already revealed about himself. They went off chasing other gods. But God said, I chose you. I chose to save you, not because of who you are, not because of what you did, because of who I am. God chose to save, but not only that, God accomplished salvation. God accomplished salvation, pick up there. And because he loved your fathers and chose their offspring after them and brought you out of Egypt with his own presence by his great power, driving out before you nations greater and mightier than you to bring you in and give you their land for an inheritance as it is this day. Know therefore today and lay it on your heart that the Lord is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. There is no other. He accomplished salvation. God redeemed them out of slavery and out of darkness. 
Right? They were without hope in Egypt. They were slaves to the Egyptians. They were living in utter darkness, and God brought them out of that. He rescued them out of that slavery and, and darkness. He did that by great self-exertion. Right? He did it by His great power. He brought them out. He did it. They didn't lift a finger. They didn't lift a finger. They just, they just did what God told them to do. He brought them out. He did all of it. He delivered them. He did it by His great might and power. He brought them out. He accomplished salvation. And dear Christian, you should live in obedience to God's will because God redeemed you from slavery to sin and out of darkness to sin. I want you to know today God chose to save you in Christ Jesus before the foundations of the earth. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Listen to this. Even as He chose us in Him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the beloved Jesus Christ. God chose to save you. It was not because you, you were smart enough to follow God. It was not because of, of anything in you. It wasn't because you were righteous enough, you did enough good things. That's not why God saved you. He saved you because He chose to save you. And before you were ever born, before you ever did anything good or evil, before the foundations of the earth, that text tells us, He set His love upon you to save you and redeem you. By the blood of his son Jesus Christ. God chose to save you, and God saved you through personal cost to him by his great power through the blood of his beloved son Jesus Christ. Philippians 2 5 through 8. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. He set aside his glory by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. God saved you through the power of His redeeming work in Jesus Christ. He saved you by sending His Son Jesus to take on your guilt, your shame, all of your sin, Every act of rebellion against a holy God, God poured out, He poured the punishment out on His Son, Jesus Christ, instead of you. Jesus died 
so that you might be saved. God saved you by His power and by His grace. And that's why we obey Him. That's why Christians strive to live in obedience to God. It's not so that we can be saved. It's because we are. He saved us. He accomplished it for us. And out of gratefulness to a loving God and Father in heaven and a loving Savior who gave His life for us and a Holy Spirit who applies that that salvation in our hearts because of who God is and what He has done for us, we should long to live in obedience to His will, knowing that if He did all that for us, He certainly has our our goodness in mind. He has our best interests in mind. So when He says, Thou shalt not commit adultery, it's not to oppress us. When he forbids homosexuality, it's not to oppress us. When he condemns drunkenness, it's not to oppress us. It's to give us life. It's to let us flourish in Jesus Christ. Praise God. Praise God for his salvation. Praise God for His love and giving us His Word so that we might know Him and obey Him and flourish in Him, in Jesus Christ. God is worthy of obedience for He alone is God, our gracious God who set His love upon us, who revealed Himself to us, created us, gave gave us life, sustains us, revealed Himself through Jesus Christ and His written Word, and who redeemed us by the blood of Jesus. Praise be Him. If you want to live in obedience to God, let that be your motive. Not because of what you might think you can get out of God, but because of what God has done for you. Who He is and what He has done for you. Obey God because He is Creator, Revealer, and your Redeemer. And let me tell you, dear friends, if today you're living in disobedience to God, and you know you're living in disobedience to God, You've never surrendered your life to Jesus. Maybe you've had doubts. Maybe you've you've bought into the lies of, of, of this world. You've had doubts about if there is a, even a God. Maybe you thought, well, He is an oppressive God. And maybe this is the first time you've heard any of this. And you know today, you've been living in disobedience to God. You've been living a, a rebel's life, doing your own thing. You've never surrendered your life to Christ. God loves you. If you're here today, He has drawn you here to hear the gospel, to know His love, 
and invite you to trust in him today. Will you trust in him? There's nothing to do. You don't have to get your life straight. You don't have to turn things around. He'll do all of that stuff for you. He's already done it for you in Jesus. All you have to do is trust in Jesus. Surrender your life to him today, in this moment, and he will save you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you that you are our creator and sustainer, our revealer, Lord. You have shown yourself through your word and through your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you that we can know you and even more, we can know the way of redemption that you have provided in your Redeemer, Jesus Christ. Thank you that you are our Redeemer. Lord, let us, help us to get our motives right. Lord, let us not serve you and obey you out of fear. Let us not serve you and, and obey you because we, we think we can get some favor Lord, you've already given us your favor through Jesus. So, Father, let us serve you and obey you out of love for who you are and what you have done for us. And, Lord God, if there's any today, and surely there's those who've been here and, and, and watching and listening in, Lord, there are those who've never trusted in Jesus. Lord, they are rebels living outside your will. Lord, show you, them your love and grace in Jesus Christ. Turn their hearts to trust in Christ today, I pray. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.